You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate the way you guys are just leading us into that. Thank you, Asbury, again for letting me be with you for this week. I'm really enjoying my time with you. Uh, getting to meet some of the students and getting to hang out a little bit uh, in the student center. And um, yeah, so I'm just really, really enjoying that. And uh, I just want to give a shout out real quick to something that's happening on Friday night. Uh, This student event that's happening called Spooky Canoe. And uh, the reason I wanted to give a shout out to that is just because I wanted to say Spooky Canoe. I just like saying that, all right? That would be a great band name. And uh, if one of you doesn't take that as a band name, I'm going to be really disappointed, okay? Spooky Canoe. Uh, Freshmen, where are the freshmen at? Let's hear the freshmen. I love how every class, like, has this class name. What's your class name, freshmen? Surrendered. Awesome. Okay, that's better. I was going to suggest Spooky Canoe, but that's... Definitely stick with that one. Okay. Awesome. All right. So we're going to continue today in John chapter 15 in these words of Jesus. And uh, we got through like the first sentence of this uh, in our time together on Monday. And we're going to get a little bit further today in this passage. So John chapter 15. Jesus, help us. These are your words, not ours. We want to be rooted in you. We want to hear from you. We want to be branches that are fruitful in you, that bear rich fruit, that bear deep fruit for a hungry world around us to taste. We want you to teach us what it means for us to abide in you as the vine, to remain in you as the vine. And today we just say our hearts are wide open to where you want to take us. We have a direction, but we want your direction. And so our hearts are wide open to what you want to say and where you want to take us. Speak in the way that you want to speak today. Holy Spirit, move in this place as you have already been moving. As you are so familiar in this place, this is your home turf right here. So many people have encountered you in life-changing ways right here in this space. And we're here expecting it again. And we're open to it. We pray that you would be seen, that you would be heard, that you would be experienced, that you would be glorified. And that that's what we walk away with today. See you name we pray. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 15, and and these words that Jesus is sharing here with his disciples on his last night with them, it's a part of a larger section of the book of John known as the Farewell Discourse. And uh, so during this section, we get five chapters of John, this intimate friend of Jesus, ringing his memory of every last drop of Jesus on this last night that the disciples 
had with him. We often look at the Sermon on the Mount as this collection of the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus lays out the ethic of the kingdom and what the kingdom is like and these revolutionary teachings of what the future of love is going to look like. And so we often go to the Sermon on the Mount, and that's so important. I love it. Uh, I can't get enough of the Sermon on the Mount every time I read through it. It is new and revolutionary. But I want to challenge us. Why don't we do the same with these chapters? This is also a condensed collection of the teachings and words of Jesus. And this is, these are the last words that he shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross. So I want to challenge us to lean into these words and begin to see them with that same kind of depth and importance. I know we do, but I think we need to keep leaning into that. And so we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is so crucial for teaching us what the kingdom of God is like. And here we have the sermon at the table where Jesus is sharing with his disciples these last words. And so he gives them this powerful image. Once again, one of these I am statements that he makes, one of seven that he makes in the Gospel of John. I am the divine name of God, the personal name of God, connected with this metaphor, with this image that opens our minds to understand a God who is beyond our understanding. It's so powerful. I am. We can't even get our minds around who he is. And then Jesus, in his grace, gives us these very accessible metaphors and images to teach us who he is. And so he gives this metaphor of the vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. And now here's where we're going to be today in these next words. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. Unless you remain in me. This is where we're going to be today. So there are three statements that we see Jesus make here in this next section that are all intertwined together. And it's about our relationship to the true vine and our relationship to the gardener. We, we unpacked that a little bit on, on Monday, the meaning of that metaphor of the true vine and the meaning of this image of God the Father being the gardener and the way we see that image of the gardener all the way throughout scripture. He's this gardener who will not quit. He will not give up. It's on the first page. It's on the last. And we see this image all the way through. And the vine, the vineyard, this image of longevity that he is in this for the long haul. And now here is our relationship to the true vine and to the gardener, these three statements that get made. Number one, we see that he cuts off dead branches. Number two, he prunes fruitful branches. And then this third statement that seems a little bit out of place with the rest, but we're gonna unpack that a little bit later. You are already made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. So first of all, we get this statement of that the gardener cuts off dead branches. And once again, we see this moment in the teaching of Jesus where he confronts us with a fork in the road kind of moment. He puts right in front of us a decisive moment. And he says, which kind of branch are you going to be? 
Do you want to be defined by death or do you want to be defined by life? Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin, but in Christ, we are alive in him. And so Jesus puts right in front of us this life or death decisive moment, which path will you take? There's a fork in the road kind of moment. And that's a moment that's happening right now for some people. You've been curious about Jesus. You've been skeptical about Jesus. You've been doubtful about Jesus. And yet there is something about him that you are drawn to. Yes, you can say all of the reasons of why uh, you don't like Christians. Even on an amazing campus like this with amazing students who are living out their faith in authentic ways, you can still find countless reasons for why you think Christians are fake, are hypocritical, are judgmental, are hateful, or whatever else. But let me ask you this. What about Jesus? I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about Jesus. You can't use Christians as a reason to not follow Jesus. It simply doesn't work. It's not an intellectually honest position to take because Christianity has never been about Christians. It's always been about Jesus. What about Jesus? Well, well, yeah, but Christians are hypocritical, but Christians are judgmental, but Christians are hateful. What about Jesus? Has anybody ever said that about Jesus? In fact, the thing that, that puts this distaste in your mouth for Christianity is the fact that you don't see Christians lining up with who Jesus is and it makes you angry and it builds this wall for you. And you're like, yeah, but Christians are, don't act like Jesus. Okay, so look beyond them and look to Jesus. It's not about Christians anyway. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about Christ. What about him? That's what's being put in front of you today. It's his invitation for you to come and follow him. Yeah, Christians are screwed up people. You know why? Because screwed up people have always been drawn to Jesus. Because we understand how desperately broken we are and how desperately we need Jesus. So absolutely, the people around Jesus are always going to be some of the most broken people you will ever meet. But we're being healed by his grace. We're being made new. We're being transformed by him. And he's inviting you into that process as well. For some of you, it's a decision moment, life or death, life or death. Which road are you going to take? This is a pivotal moment laid out on the timeline of history. It's razor thin. And yet it's weighed down and filled up with eternity. Which way will you choose? Will you embrace the way of Jesus? He's inviting you and he's offering you life. Will you take it? Will you take it? If you are making that decision today to become a follower of Jesus, to move from death to life, to be connected to the vine in a way that infuses the life of the vine into you in new and fresh ways, then please talk to someone that you know to be a spiritual leader on this campus. You can talk to your RA or to your uh, spiritual life assistant. That's, that's where you live. And talk to somebody. Talk to Greg. Talk to Jeannie. Talk to someone about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. So the next thing that Jesus says there, and I celebrate with people who within their hearts have just made that decision. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So the next thing that Jesus says then is he talks about pruning. Okay. So cutting off dead branches, but also we get this image of pruning branches that are already bearing fruit. Now this image bothers me because this doesn't seem fair to me. All right. Everybody knows what, what pruning means. Okay, it's like to cut back a branch, all right? And so we've already got this image of cutting off dead branches. And you're like, I'm glad that's not me. And then he moves to the next section and he's like, and the gardener will prune the branches that are bearing fruit so that they might be more fruitful. And you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem fair. Either way, we're getting cut. And I kind of signed up so I wouldn't get cut, okay? So I'm a part of this thing. He says, no, you're going to get cut too. You're going to feel the pain of the blade as well. Even the fruitful branches will be pruned so that they might be more fruitful. It doesn't make sense to us. Why would you punish a fruitful branch for doing what it's supposed to do? It's bearing fruit like, like it's supposed to do. Why would you punish a fruitful branch? Because pruning is not punishment. That's why. Pruning isn't punishment. Pruning is provision. Pruning is productive. It creates in us the opportunity for health and greater growth in us. I I live, I've already talked about this enough about Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I live. And uh, so right there uh, at the university's campus there, uh, there's this beautiful arboretum. And um, so I recently was in a meeting with a friend of mine. And so Bob and I are are walking through the Arboretum and we're having this great conversation. And we come across this guy who is working in the Arboretum. And he's got like all the gardening tools around him, like his, you know, like his spade or, you know, tiny shovel. Okay, I'm not really a gardener, but I think a spade is a tiny shovel, right? Something like that. Okay, And uh, so he's like hands and knees down in the dirt, like doing this work. And I'm like, Bob. I got to stop and talk to this guy because I need some help with my sermon on what pruning means. And so I ask him, I'm like, hey, I know this seems weird, but I'm a preacher and I'm like trying to wrestle with these words of Jesus about pruning. Can you help me with this? And uh, can you teach me about pruning? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, actually, so I'm the curator of the Arboretum here. I'm the caretaker of this whole Arboretum. And actually, I teach a master's level course in pruning at the university. I'm like, thank you. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So I share with him this imagery and he starts to break it down for me. And he starts to tell me just how brilliant this imagery is that Jesus gives to us. And he says this, as counterintuitive as it may seem to us, the nature of a fruit bearing vine and branch is that growth is produced when you take something away. It doesn't seem to make sense to us, right? But here's what this expert is telling us. Growth is produced when you take something away. When you cut off a part of the branch, the vine, by its nature, will send out several new shoots in that same place where one branch was cut. So you cut away one piece, and the vine is so full of life, And it's so determined to produce life that in that one part where one piece is taken away, several more shoots will grow to take its place. 
One place is cut back and the vine replaces it with more growth than was there in the first place. And then he said this, he says, but here's the thing, it gets really tricky to tell how much to cut. He said it takes a seasoned and expert gardener to know how far to go when pruning. He said the problem is not cutting too much. The problem is not cutting enough. He's like most people who aren't seasoned, who aren't an expert, stop too soon in the process of pruning because they're afraid that they are damaging the plant. They don't know how far to go. They stop too soon, and by stopping too soon, they actually undercut the potential growth of that vine. He said, but a seasoned and expert gardener knows to keep cutting and to keep cutting and to keep cutting. And it looks like you're cutting it all the way down until there's next to nothing left, but that is what an expert gardener does. And in that process of pruning, opens up the opportunity and the potential for more and abundant and greater growth. Good stuff. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Amen. And that's what he's doing in us this morning. That's what he's doing in us this morning. Some of you are feeling the sharpness of the blade right now. And you're worried because you think the gardener is not going to stop. You think he's cutting too far and too deep into your life, but he knows what he's doing. He's the one who was doing this on the first page of the book. He'll be doing it on the last, bringing it into full fruition and completion. He knows what he's doing. He's the expert and seasoned gardener, and you can trust him. He is bringing about in your life, even at the very point of pain in your life, he's bringing about multiplied, abundant growth, far beyond anything that you dreamed was even possible for you. You're asking him to stop, but it's his grace that keeps him going and keeps cutting. It takes a skilled and seasoned gardener to know where to cut and where to keep on cutting. Let me ask you this question. What is he pruning and cutting back in you? And why? And what growth might come from that? What growth might come from that? So interesting. As the, our friend from the Arboretum said, growth happens at the place of the cutting and the pruning. In other words, growth happens at the point of pain. Growth happens at the point of pain. Pruning hurts. But don't forget this part. Pruning hurts, but it will never harm. It does not harm. You can trust him. You can trust him. This is for your growth. Here's what you need to understand. Don't get this confused here, okay? The evil that comes into your life is not from God. Okay, God doesn't create evil. Does a good and holy and loving God create evil? God doesn't create evil. It's the fallenness of humanity and the fallenness of this world and this nature. That's where evil comes from. He doesn't cause tragedy and trauma. So don't put on God what comes at you from the enemy. 
Don't put on God what comes at you from the enemy. He is good and holy. He does not cause evil. But because he is the sovereign king above all things who reigns and is reconciling all things to himself, he can take every tragedy, every trauma that the enemy has worked against you, and he can bend it towards his will and bring it into submission under his will. He can take the greatest pain in your life and he can redeem it for his glory and for your good. That's what he can do in you. Sometimes the healing process is going to be painful. Sometimes the healing is going to hurt, but the healing will never harm. The healing will never harm. And that tragedy and trauma that you've experienced in your life, he is bending towards redemption and possibly will use in the lives of others to bring about healing for them too. Here's the deal. He is going to keep pruning in your life. Understand the difference between evil that comes at you from the enemy and pruning that is coming into your life from the good and loving gardener, the seasoned expert gardener who knows what he's doing. He will keep pruning. He will keep cutting. Even when you ask him to stop, he's not going to look the other way and agree to avoid this. He's going to address it. He's going to start to cut away at things in your life, and he's going to remove them before they can become a bitter root in you and infect the branches and the fruit of your life. He's going to cut away. He's going to prune. The pruning is going to hurt, but it will not harm you. You can trust him. You can trust him. And as our friend from the Arboretum says, the greatest growth happens at the point of pain. And you can look for fruit to emerge from the places of pain in your life. He is the good and loving, expert, seasoned gardener. He knows what he's doing. And Jesus makes this statement here. You're already made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. We get this great imagery. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off branches that are dead. He prunes branches that are already bearing fruit. And then he changes up the metaphor here. And all of the English literature professors just cringe when they heard that. They're like, no, Jesus, you were doing so great, okay? And then you changed it and introduced this idea of cleaning instead of the gardening imagery. But it's not Jesus, all right? It's not Jesus' problem here. It's our language problem. And the reality here is what is translated as clean in our language, in the language in which this is originally written, there's a play on words that's happening that we can't see. And the play on words is this, that the word for cleaning and the word for cutting and pruning sound very similar. And so it's this play on words. So he's not changing the metaphor. He's staying with the metaphor. And he's saying that the word is cleaning, is the thing that is cutting away, that is cleaning away and making place for growth. We know this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Amen. The word is doing its work in you. Are you opening yourself up to that? To the tool of the gardener cutting away, doing its pruning work in you. Allow him to do that. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close this time out and consecrate this time together.
I want to challenge you to open yourself up to the pruning of the gardener. What is he cutting back in you? What is he pruning? What dead branches within you is he cutting away? What fruitful branches is he cutting, pruning, so that they might be even more fruitful? Are you open to that? Are you allowing the word, the sharp blade of the word, to do its work in your life? Here's one challenge I would leave with you. These verses that we are studying and these verses that we were in today, chapter 15 of John, verses 1 through 4, meditate on these. Spend time allowing these words to swim around in your heart and your mind. Let it run through your mind until it runs down into your heart, into the depths of your soul, and then works its way out into your life. Let the word do its pruning work. I challenge you to spend these next few days contemplating these words of Jesus and letting them do their work in you. The pruning is going to hurt, but it will not harm He is good, he is loving, he is the expert and seasoned gardener, and you can trust him. Amen.